when we're living in comparison and despair, when that's going on, we're living in a place of not enoughness. And it's small. It's a contracted place to live. And it's hard to step into our full expression, right? Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacy of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder that this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or illness and while nina is a therapist which i love she's not acting as yours on today's show so even though she's available to work with you directly if this resonates I always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly and with that i want to welcome nina back to the show nina is a body piece coach and returning guest on the show the whole view we mentioned comparison as a whole other topic is I think the phrase that we used on the last episode that we did together and we're back to dig deeper into that today a quick reminder if you're not familiar with Nina's work we'll put links in the show notes to the other podcast that she's done with us but she's not just coming to us with some woo-woo fluff but her credentials are incredibly impressive from a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and psychology to being a certified health coach and national board certified health and wellness coach, as well as certified psychology of eating coach and teacher, and is the recipient of an integrative nutritional health and leadership award, as well as being certified as a body trust provider. I didn't know what half of those things were until we had you on the show the first time. <laughs> But I remember just being like, you resonate so much with where I am on my journey. And I know you've heard from listeners since that continues to resonate with a lot of them. So I'm sure today's conversation will keep us heading down that road. And I love that you're able to bring 30 years of experience on a very broad range of things that allow you to get super specific when it comes to supporting women's emotions about their bodies. Do you think that's kind of an accurate representation of the it is, you know, there's a couple of things in working with women this long is that like I've heard a lot of things. You know, women often come to me and they're like, "Oh, I'm a little bit ashamed to tell you this." And I'm like, "Oh gosh, I used up all my shame and blame on myself for you know, decades of feeling bad about myself, I'm run out of judgment. I just don't do it anymore. So that's part of it is I've heard so many things and they all contribute to our humanity. There's no such thing as like, oh, I'm so terrible because I ate X, Y, or Z. It's, oh, look at you being human, trying to cope with your day. So that's part of my the gift of working with women so long and also, you know, lots of time to train in many different methods. And one of the things that I love about this particular topic about comparative despair is it actually weaves through everything. It's through so many aspects of women and women's lives. 
And I specifically work with women around their relationship with food and body. But this issue of compare and despair, I see it with women. Women talk about it around their wardrobe, their handbag, their purse, their relationship, their house, their children, right? Pretty much anything that you can go, oh, look at them. Women then go, oh, but then what about me? I'm not enough. And that's where that phrase, and just to give context to that phrase, compare and despair, which we're talking about, is it was first told to me when I was studying nutrition. And I was in a huge lecture hall in New York City, and I was watching a lot of students and colleagues go up on stage. And they were looking, you know, so fantastic. And they were talking about how they're changing their lives and how their business thriving. And each time someone would speak, I'd turn to my friend and say, oh, I haven't done that. Oh, I'm not doing that either. Wow. How'd she do that? So each person spoke. I literally slid down further and further into my seat. And finally, after this happened, like for the third, fifth, a hundredth time, and I thought someone was going to sweep me off the floor, my friend Dana turned to me and said, oh, honey, you are deep in compare. And you know that only leads to one place, despair. And then finally, like it was a light bulb moment for me. I had a name for this aggressive, painful, toxic pattern. It was compare and despair, right? And really, once we have a name for something, it's a lot easier to wrap our mind around it, start working with it. It's something tangible, right? It's something real that you can start to examine and shift. And that's why... I'm so excited that you were like, let's talk about this because I know how painful it is personally. And I see how women do it to themselves every day in all aspects. And I will say it's not without selfishness for me to bring up this topic because I have long really been stuck on the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. hung up where I can see it daily and consider getting it as a tattoo to remind myself because I find that I very quickly go into comparison, which I also relate a lot to judgment. And I've been trying to be less judgmental. I find in the work that I've done a lot with foster care kids, this idea of judgment is something that I had to become awakened to because there was a lot of judgment that was coming from them assuming people were judging them or them judging others. And I realized that those things are really closely related, that when you're not in a place of happiness is when you start to judge or to condemn others. And when you are in a place of happiness, you're not worried about what anybody else is doing because you're happy with yourself. And so I find that comparison cannot be done without judgment. You can't compare without judging. It's a required skill for comparison. And so If I focus on, you know, letting go of comparison, I also let go of judgment, which is really a challenge for me. I remember being young and my, not my, I'm a challenger Enneagram. My Myers-Briggs was INTJ. And I was like, I don't want to be a J. I don't want to be a judger. (laughs) It is something that, like you said, once we can name and once we can work on, we can become aware of. And I think specifically... It is so easy for us to realize that this is not something others, right? Like we tell our kids, you know, don't succumb to peer pressure, which is another, again, like comparing yourself. 
and what other people are doing if you're doing peer pressure. Or we might say, oh, keeping up with the Joneses in kind mm-hmm. of a mocking or funny sort of way. I think these are all culturally, we understand those concepts around us, yet we will justify it for ourselves. We will say, but what am I doing? Or what do I need to be doing? Because this person is doing so much. What even am I doing with my life? Or why don't I have that? Or why can't I have that? And it's perpetuated by a culture that wants us to keep buying things and wants us to keep doing things. But if we find that happy place within ourselves, then you will know what you really want, necessarily what you want others to perceive. Of you. Yeah. There's so much to unpack in, in what you're saying. And one of the things I want to go back to the beginning, when you said, when we judge other people, it comes from that place in ourselves where we're not happy with ourselves. And I want to give the example that most of us as women have experienced, which is we come face to face with a woman who does that body scan thing, that look at you from tip of your head to tip of your toe and everything in between and then back up. It's that look it down, look it up thing. And you feel like, oh my God, I've just been completely checked out. And they are, they're checking you out. I used to do that. I used to do that all the time with women. Oh, let me check her out. It had very little to do with them. It had everything to do with me. Oh, am I thinner than her? Is my hair fluffier than her? Is my, or my, my clothing, is it a better fit than her? Like whatever the BS was that I was comparing, that's what I was doing in the skin. And it's so important for us to really recognize that those moments, if we're the kind of victim of that moment, someone's doing that scan, it's all about the other person. The person who's doing the scanning, right? When I was doing the scanning, that was my issue. Am I okay? I am not, you know, living up to this, you know, goddess who's standing in front of me, who I think is so all that. So it's when I was able to develop a relationship with myself that wasn't based in better than, worse than, right? The language of comparison. And now I like go up to women. I'm like, hey, hello, human being, whole person, not tiny little parts of handbags and bodies and hair and whatever the heck it is, right? That judgment falls away because we're not trying to analyze the moment and figure out where we fit in the social structure, right? How much social clout do we have in this situation when we walk into a room and scan and compare? Do I fit? Do I fit? Right. So there's so many issues in there to unpack, Stacey. Right. Belonging. Am I good enough? Right. It's social status financially. Right. The thinness, thin privilege in our culture. I think that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. I know I kind of laid a lot of things out, but I think, you know, if I think about Brittany Brown's work, Atlas of the Heart, it was like so helpful for me. And you mentioned once you know something, then you can understand it and unpack it. And if I think of despair, you know, I also can categorize different feelings around that, like shame, the work she does with shame. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that spectrum is happiness and joy. And I think it's not like you can just with a light switch be like, oh, I'm judging or I'm comparing, therefore I'm unhappy. Okay, I'm going to be joyful today. So if we can talk a little bit about what that full 
mindset cycle looks like? Like, how do we manifest this change? Awareness, obviously, yeah. is something that we've started with. But what does that process look like for us yeah. to become aware? Absolutely. So I think of it as a five-part process, okay? So I want to first just drill into really what we're doing when we're living in comparison despair. So when we're living in comparison despair, when that's going on, we're living in a place of not enoughness. And it's small. It's a contracted place to live. And it's hard to step into our full expression, right? Like you said, the joy, passion, full expression, who we are. It's hard to be happy in the illusion that if we could just be like her or him, then life would be better. And then here's the really crazy thing. When we finally become as successful or as slim as the people we're comparing ourselves to, there are new people to compare ourselves to. It's a never-ending cycle, right? So if we want to change that, there are five steps, right? And we, you already named the first one, awareness. We need to name it, right? Just like my friend Dana did. Oh, honey, you're in compare and despair. And I still do it when I'll like catch myself in that like, oh, and it, you'll notice like I had a gazillion credentials after my name because that's all the hustle for, am I good enough, right? Maybe I should get a PhD now. Do I have the gold star on my forehead yet? Maybe now I need to write a book. Okay, maybe I need to, right? It's all this hustle for, oh, see, am I good enough, right? So when I catch myself in that, oh, you're in comparison. Right. So we want to catch the pattern in action. When we do that, we're essentially shining a light on a moment. Right. And we want to shine that light on a moment because when we shine that light, oh, now we can get curious. This is the second step. We could get really curious. Now that's an interesting comparison. What am I comparing myself to? What's the voice here? Whose voice is it? right? So this is, we start to get to unpack this, right? And sometimes that compare voice is reminiscent to what our parents used to say, right? Comparing us to siblings or other kids, or sometimes it's a teacher we had that compared us to fellow students. Sometimes it's just the media constantly telling us that we should be different than we are, right? So we want to get curious about whose voice it is, but also, what's the purpose of this voice, right? So, because our unwanted behaviors, our unwanted thoughts, unwanted behaviors around eating, unwanted thoughts about comparison, they're always messages from our inner world. So, like, what's the message? What's the memo that we're supposed to get here? So, our compare despair voice can sometimes be trying to protect us. And I know it sounds a little crazy because it doesn't feel protective, it feels aggressive. But sometimes our unconscious thought process is, oh, if I judge myself first, right? If I come out less than, then no one else can judge me, right? We sort of beat ourselves to the punch by judging ourselves. It's why people sometimes in larger bodies, when they have felt victimized for being in large bodies, will make a joke about their size and their body. Let me say it first so that I save myself from the external pain of somebody else saying it first. So sometimes that 
compare and despair is there to protect, right? And are also that the compare can also be masking something really interesting. And I love this possibility. Like when we get curious, there's so many things in there and we have to be curious, right? Again, whose voice is it? What's the purpose? But also, is there a desire in there, right? Do I look at Stacey and go, oh my gosh, she's so successful. She has a business and she has a podcast and so popular and like she does all this good work. And I'm, you know, I am comparing myself and I go, wait a second, is there something that I want that she's representing, right? Is the way that Stacy shows up in the world fully expressed? Is that something that I need more of in my life? We want to pop the hood on is comparison holding our desires, right? This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform I have been on helping Cole consider his next career role as a recent graduate. Can you even believe? I can validate you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed Data. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you can get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Just go to Indeed.com slash WholeView and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I just pause for a second because I think you said so many things that are powerful and I know you're going through a list of five so we'll definitely come back to that I think the things that are coming up for me as you're speaking are reminding me also of things like why women compete against one another and I want to kind of call out that yes I absolutely built a lot of these behaviors in myself as protection like I, from a very young age, felt like I I needed to be responsible for and protect myself. And so a lot of the stuff that you're talking about totally identify with a lot of that. And I think a lot of people can see that. What I also want to say is that some of these things are also completely outside of our control, that women for so long have been limited in terms of our access to 
leadership positions or jobs that we couldn't have. Or mm -hmm. Once we became mothers, which society told us was all we were good for, now we can no longer have a job. We only within like the last, I think, 50 years got access to our own money and bank accounts and mm -hmm. completely independent ourselves. And so if we know, okay, back just to my mother, not even my grandmother, let alone great grandmother and the lessons that are taught from generation to generation and what we see modeled to us as children and those kinds of things. Because when I think about the comparison, the head to toe thing, I think like, oh, that was my, gra my grandmother's generation was like <laughs> really into that. And I can see now why that would have been so important for them because that's where yeah. they found value in themselves because that's what society says. So as much as we're saying you and me and all of these like self-ownership statements, I also just want to call out that it's also okay to kind of like breathe a sigh a little bit. Like I want everyone to breathe in their nose and slowly out their mouth and relax your shoulders remind yourself like, part of this is because society told us this is what we needed to do and we've built it yes. into who we are and how we behave and this is our opportunity to say oh i've been carrying this thing for so long and i don't know why i'm carrying it it doesn't serve me i'm going to put it down so i can carry something else that's better absolutely it's this but you said it so beautifully it's being able to unhook from the learning of scarcity and oppression, right? There's not enough for all of us, right? You have to elbow your way to the top. And to unlearn that, to unhook is so important because our compare and despair is a cultural phenomenon. And it can also be a placeholder for our feelings that we aren't willing to feel, which is I felt like there wasn't enough when I was growing up. I felt like, you know, people would either like my sister or me. So I had to be better then, right? So we need to both zoom out, as you so beautifully did, Stacey, to the societal container for this dynamic. And we also want to zoom into what feelings of ours are baked in to this self-judgment of comparison there. Yeah, I totally agree. I appreciate just kind of being able to take a pause and to really consider those things because I know it's hard sometimes. We're talking about not comparing despair, but I can also see where at a certain part of my life hearing this conversation, I would have been really hard on myself and judged myself and compared myself to our mindsets and said, oh, I'm not there and I should be. Right. And like should is a five letter word. Anytime I hear it, it's like red flag, pause. What are you doing? Why? It's a judgment word. Why are you incorporating that? So I want to just, you know, give everyone an opportunity to remind themselves that some of this is not in our control and that we still don't have to accept it. Right. Like we still don't have to play into those standards. And if that comes up for you, have grace with yourself. Like this, the reason you're outlining five steps is because it's a process. And I'm sure that some people go forward and then realize, oh, I'm still doing this thing. I need to be aware of comparing to spirit, right? Like you can move through the phases and then still come back to like, oh, I need to be aware that this is coming up for me. And so thanks for allowing me to interject there. <laughs>
No, it's what's what you're saying is so important because absolutely, it's not like we go, okay, great, step one, two, three, four, five, and now I'm done forever with compare and despair, right? These dynamics that are baked into our culture, that are baked into our society, that are placeholders for difficult feelings, they don't evaporate. They become neural pathways. They become the way that we think. They become the way that we perceive the world. And so it's a practice of compassion to keep coming back to, oh, look, Finley, look, you're doing the compare thing, right? Like you said, oh, there's the should. Oh, there's the comparison. Oh, there's the like, oh, she can do it, but I can't, right? There's whatever that dynamic is. We're going to have it over and over. And if instead of making ourselves wrong for it, being like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to be in a practice of self-kindness. And we'll come back to that because it's one of the steps. But this, I want to just say a little more about the second step of being curious because this is where the juice is. This is where the work is. We come back to this all the time, no matter what's coming up, right? Whether it's comparison around our body or money or kids or whatever it is, being curious, what's going on? right? If it's a money issue, do I feel like there's not going to be enough for me, right? Do I feel afraid? Do I feel like I'm in survival? And here they are having, you know, ladies who lunch by the pool and I'm working 15 hours every single day, right? Like where, what's going on? Look under the hood of the comparison. What are the dynamics? Because it can be our insecurities. It can be real life fears, we want to get curious to know what is the message within compare and despair. Don't take it for face value, right? Soon as you get that, just like you said with shoulds, oh, there's the should. That means that there is some expectation here. Oh, what's the expectation about? Who said that? Do I really believe that? Do I want to buy that expect expectation? The same holds true with compare and despair oh, I'm in comparison. What am I comparing about? And what's underneath here, right? Is there a desire? Is there a difficult feeling? And then this is where we want to start shifting that neural pathway because again, that's what we're talking about. It's an old neural pathway that sees somebody else's success and goes, oh, I'm not okay, right? So we're changing the neural pathway. Now, neural pathways, the way... I often think of them as like luge runs, right? Like you get on the top of a toboggan run, a sled run, and whoosh, you're down at the bottom. You don't think, should I go left? Should I go right? How do I want to navigate this? Boom, you're at the bottom. You don't think too much about it. That's often how neural pathways work, right? A lot of women that I talk to look in the mirror and before they've even had a question or anything, they're like, oh, my thighs. Can't stand my thighs. Right. They haven't even, like, there's no process. It's just an automatic. So, what we're doing here is not recreating because we can't erase neural pathways, but we can create new ones. We can create new scripts. That's what we want to do. And as we create new scripts, it's a little bit like creating a new song that we play over and over. And the old song that's the painful song that makes us feel like crap gets drowned out slowly but surely. Okay. So this step three is writing that new script. It's creating that new song. It's 
starting to engrave that new neural pathway in our brain. So in those moments, what else? What else can we say to ourselves in those moments when our insecurities show up, right? What do we need to hear when our longing and our desires for more show up? What do we need to hear when I'm not good enough, when they're better shows up, right? We need to find a new way of talking to ourselves. And this step, it's literally, you have to pick up a pen and you need to craft new words or you need to work with a therapist and figure out new words. But they're, they may not be like tip of your tongue, right? It might be, oh, honey, I know you want to look like her because you think she's skinny and she's getting more love or money or friends than you. But you are loved. Really, you are, right? And that may not be your style, right? But the way you want to think about how to change the script is if you had your dearest friend next to you and they were like, oh my gosh, she's got it all. I am a crumb. What would you say to them? And that's a very powerful way to start a new script. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive, maker of the award-winning, scientifically-backed, unique breakthrough probiotics. It is the only product on the market with numerous peer-reviewed studies and clinical trials showing that their probiotic reduce leaky gut and inflammation. The soil-based formula is groundbreaking in its effectiveness and is guaranteed to arrive 100% alive in your gut and has 1,000 times better survivability versus leading probiotics. And while there is absolutely no cure for neurodiversity, nor would we want one for the uniqueness of our full spectrum family, I do want to consider the specific health needs for each individual in our family. And Wesley is here with me because he was recently diagnosed with autism. And according to NIH's library, a study showed that the abundance of intestinal flora was greatly different in children with autism spectrum disorder. And recent studies suggest that the microbiota change in children with ASD after the ingestion of probiotics, which may improve the balance of microbiota and thus ASD symptoms. Wesley, Mm -hmm. I haven't heard your nickname, McFarty Pants, in quite a while. Have you noticed a difference since taking the probiotics? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I don't know why you had to call me that. <laughs> you have like how many viewers does it? Let's not let's not think have? about that. Let's think about how we're gonna help them by saying if they took the probiotic, would their tummy feel better? It, uh, my tummy didn't really hurt, yeah. but I did fart a lot. Yeah. So if you don't want a nickname, Mister Farty Pants, uh, <laughs> I would highly recommend taking up this pill. <laughs> I take this probiotic every day too, and I share it to all of my skincare clients who tell me how effective and helpful it is for them as well, because your gut health impacts literally everything, your well-being, your mood, your digestion. So if you missed episode 54 with their founder, I highly recommend not just to nerd out on gut health science, but also we did a deep dive into how probiotics have been shown in science to bind to heavy metals and provide antioxidant protection. Plus... Just Thrive is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. To try it, get 15% off when you go to JustThriveHealth.com and use code WHOLEVIEW. 
That includes bundles and subscriptions. So definitely double up on your savings at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash whole view with code whole view. I think it's a great analogy and I know we use it often, but can never be used enough, which is we have to talk to ourselves the way that we talk to our friends. And so what I hear you saying is this is about rewriting the script as you're calling it, right? Like rewriting those thoughts, those neural pathways, all the things that we develop early on in our life to protect ourselves and to interpret the world around us. And we need to say, to ourselves, what we would say to our best friend. And I think a lot of us know that we hear it in passing, but it's hard to implement, which is where this, you know, awareness and having it in front of you and writing it down and forcing yourself to, after you've said the first thing, even if you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. No, that's a second judgment statement. Instead, you just kind of stop yourself and you say what I meant to say is, and then whatever, you know, the revised script is. And I think for me, I hear the example that you gave just as like a personal example. And you're like, oh, you're so loved. And I have no problem feeling love. I have problem feeling worthy without externalization, right? Like I'm very much a person that's aware that I seek external validation. And the moment that I get one external validation that's invalidating it doesn't matter how many hundreds or thousands of positive affirmation validations I've received, I focus on the negative. So for me, I had to become aware that was something that I was dependent on. And I had to learn to let go of the script that I was a failure, that I let everybody down, that, you know, all these negative thoughts that I put into my head because I received one invalidation or negative comment versus allowing myself to feel self-joy and self-fulfillment for the things that I was really focused on and not even think about the hundreds of validation and positive thoughts that I, because originally I was trying to, oh, let me go from focusing on the negative to positive. And then I think the next step for me was really, no, that's not really what I want. I don't want to be dependent on external validation. I want to feel good knowing that the work that I'm doing is, I feel what I want to put out in the world that I feel good about it or, you know, whatever it is, because that's all I can be accountable for. I can't be responsible for how someone chooses to perceive me or not. And so anyway, I just want to kind of call it because I heard you say that example. And I was like, actually, no, I don't want someone to tell me, oh, you're loved. I want, I want to be the person that's like, I am okay if that person does not like me. I do not need that person to like me. I don't need someone to tell me, Oh, but these other people love me. You know what I mean? I think it's very bio-individual in terms of what that script might be, what we've been telling ourselves. And you're only an individual person is going to know. And I think the idea of working with therapists rather than your friend is a great one because of the nuances of this kind of stuff. And I wouldn't have picked up on it if I wasn't, you know, working with therapists and doing all the stuff that I'm doing right now. Yeah. What you're saying is so important in terms of making this script our own, 
Because if it's not, if we like open up a book and we're like, okay, now I'm going to say, I love you, body. I tried that literally for 10 years and that did not work. It just doesn't feel authentic. We have to find our own conversations. And Stacey, one thing I want to just reflect on in your story around, you know, you could have all the external validation in the world, but one person says something, eh, and then it's like everything is invalidated. Rick Hansen talks about this idea that our negative experiences are like Velcro to the brain. They stick. Whereas the positive experiences are like Teflon. They just slide and move on. So what do we remember is the negative. We remember the bad things that people said, right? When I talk to women, they remember exactly what that third grade gym teacher said to them. They remember exactly what that high school kid said to them about their body, right? We remember the bad because we want our brain is wired to hold on to that in case it might come up again. And then we're prepared against danger, right? It's our protective survival brain. And so one of the things that Rick Hansen talks about is reprogramming ourselves to actually start soaking in, like letting ourselves, letting our brain absorb the experience of good. Because otherwise we're like, yeah, that's good. Okay, moving on. Okay, that's good. Moving on. Oh, that was bad. I'm going to remember that forever. Even like when someone gives you a compliment and you're like, yeah, okay, it's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yes. Not actually listening to it. No, I realized that was the toxic problem of mine. And yes, so I'm going to look up his work. That's fascinating. And thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And that compliment example is perfect, right? Someone gives you a compliment. Oh, you look fantastic too. That's a deflection, right? That good didn't land anywhere on any brain cell and any body cell. Like it did not land. And so there was no opportunity to go, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good, right? And do we want all our validation come from other people? Of course not. But if it is coming, let's actually learn how to soak it in. And Stacey, to your point of, you know what? I want to know that I'm worthy. I want to know that I am living my life with integrity and dignity and in a way that I feel truly proud of myself and not basing my judgment on everybody else's judgment of me, right? So again, that requires a moment of pause. Oh, I did this thing. And my phrase, I have a very specific phrase for this. It's look and marvel. I'll do something really minor. I'll tell you, I, we have a fan in our kitchen. There is a little remote control. The fan wasn't working right. I was figuring out the switches. Finally, I figured out how to take the freaking thing off for the wall. And I unscrewed and looked on YouTube a million things, got the battery out, put the battery in, and the fan worked. Right. Not a huge rocket science kind of experience, but I was very pleased with myself. And I could have looked around and I did that too. I said to everybody else around, look at Marvel, look, fan works, look at me. But first I said it to myself, look at Marvel, aren't you industrious? You did not have to call anybody for that. You figured that out, right? Look and Marvel with yourself. It's a moment of pause, of appreciation, 
for who you are, because we are marvels as human beings with all of our unwanted behaviors or whatever, all of our perceived flaws, we are marvels. So to pause and go, oh, look and marvel, right? Which leads right into that step four, which is interrupting the pattern of compare and despair with a new script. Whether it's, oh, honey, look, you're in compare and despair, but look and marvel. You showed up at this event. It was all new people. You know, this is a bit of a challenge for you, whatever it is. And it's going to feel awkward to start using new scripts, to talk, start talking to yourself in a nice way. And women often say, I feel like I'm like, this is like weird that I'm talking to myself. I'm like, good. Keep talking consciously, deliberately, because we're talking all the time, but it's talking trash. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah, we have no problem talking negatively to ourselves. No, no problem, right? What we're practicing when we use this new script, awkward as it may be, you know, just uncomfortable getting it rolling. But what we're practicing when we use our new script is self-compassion. And that is step five. That is the step that never ends, is developing a self-compassion practice. It doesn't matter what it is. My favorite is metta meditation, which is a Buddhist self-compassion meditation that has four phrases, but I add a fifth, right? It's may I be safe. May I be healthy, may I be happy, may I live with ease. And the fifth one that I add is may I love myself exactly the way I am, right? May I love myself exactly the way I am, right? And can five steps or five phrases really stop you from comparing yourself to others and then being left in the muck of despair? Yeah, actually, it can. When you practice them over and over again, and it's very easy to underestimate the power of being kind to yourself, right? But the research, Kristen Neff and Christopher Grammer are the leading researchers on self-compassion, and their research shows that loving kindness, self-compassion is way more effective than us being mean to ourselves when it comes to helping us step into self-care, healthy habits, happy life, right? So we want to keep coming back to that place of self-compassion. And if you can't find it, can't find a thing to say nice to myself, what would I say to my dearest friend? So I know we've talked about the five steps and we've said a lot is directed women. What I also want to take a pause to say is that really what we mean is femidentifying people and ultimately any marginalized group. I think we talked a lot about imposter syndrome with Kathy Heller earlier on a different show. And really we got to what the root of that is, is compare and despair. And we know that people are more likely to experience imposter syndrome who are marginalized people. And we find ourselves comparing to some sort of standard that's written by the culture and society that we mentioned, 
we talked about, you know, toxic beauty standards on episode 24 with Kai Washington, right? Like whether it's about food and bodies, whether it's about the clothes that you're wearing, whether it's about the work that you're doing, all of this compare and ultimately leading to despair has all these other things that hopefully listeners, as you're, you know, hearing Nina talk, you're thinking, oh, this is related to that. And this is related to that. And it's all this like jumbled web i think of it as like you know when you go on a trip and you come back and all your necklaces are like bound up and you can't figure out <laughs> love that is where you know and you're love like that analogy i should have just rolled it in tissue paper like i was taught you know like there it's all part of this value system that was created back when you know we had racism and patriarchal values and all of these kinds of things built into the systems themselves and by comparing we're reinforcing to our brain that belief system set by society is correct and i don't think that most of us think that's right anymore so not only are you unraveling the necklaces for yourself by doing these activities that need us talking about but i know for me it's really my goal to undo some of these things for the future generations right like my great grandmother would look at where we are today in terms of rights for human beings especially women in the country i have two lgbtq kids and i'm able to you know fight for their rights and all those things and i think my great grandmother would look and be like whoa we've made great progress it doesn't feel like that for us when we're in those moments and we're fighting but the little things that we do, simply how we choose to talk to ourselves, what we choose to accept or not accept as how we judge ourselves or all of these kinds of things really are catalyst for huge change within our culture to say, I don't want to live in a racist society anymore. I don't want these standards to be upheld. And even though I can't logically think, oh, this thing that I'm doing right here in this moment is related to that. It is all rooted from this, you know, belief of thousands of years ago when women were thought of as something you sell to a family so that they make children. Like we, I remember being a kid and reading like history books and stuff about that stuff, and it felt so, so far away. Right? It was like that stuff that didn't actually happen. It was so far away; it didn't actually happen, but it really did, and not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to, I know we've said women, but I wanted to take a pause and kind of bring in some of those other things and recognize that there Important. are a lot of marginalized people beyond just women who are probably feeling a lot of these feelings as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much othering in our culture. And in that othering, somebody else goes, oh, see, I'm not good enough. There's the comparison. Right. And so Part of the healing of compare and despair is to foster belonging. Anywhere we go, right? Who's standing on the end? Who needs to be invited in, right? Who's feeling outside of the circle? There was an image as you were talking. It was very weird that it popped into my head. But I was chatting with my daughter and she said she was shopping at this thrift store and they all the changing rooms were taken and she was like, I kind of wanted to try this on. And it was a very small thrift store and they just closed the curtain of the store. And then everybody just started changing in the store because the whole store turned into a change room. And it reminded me as a kid going to some of these change rooms where all the women were changing. 
And she started telling me about how it was so amazing because people, all the women were like, oh my God, you look so great in that. She was like, oh, I just took something off I don't really like. I think it would be better for you. Oh yeah, that would be great. And that environment of vulnerability and support, we want that. We want to be in a communal changing room where there isn't body shame, where there is an embracing and a celebration of our differences and a lifting each other up and supporting each other to feel as good as we possibly can. Because we can do that for each other. And the more we do that for each other, we learn how to do that for ourselves and we heal that within and we change. We absolutely change the trajectory of how people feel a sense of belonging and a sense of wholeness in themselves in the future. This podcast is sponsored by HelloFresh and Wesley is back to tell you why he thinks you need to take advantage of their 16 meals free plus free shipping. That's right, boys and girls and non-binary folk. (laughs) Wow, we actually continued our membership after the sponsorship trial and the kids were all arguing in a good way over which meals to get. They were enthusiastic about too many options that they wanted to try from the 40 recipes that we get to choose from weekly, plus the pre-prepared add-ons. And we all love the flavor of the ones that we did get and how easy it was put together and followed the instructions. And I loved being able to say, Wesley, make a HelloFresh meal. And then it was just magically done. Which one did you make again? Your first one? I made like a chicken... Uh... Chicken chip, a chicken and tortilla chip salad. Yeah, and you liked it. Yep. And it was easy to put together. Yep. Were the instructions relatively easy? They were. Okay. HelloFresh is the first, I don't know if you know this, they are the first carbon neutral meal kit company committed to offsetting 100% of direct carbon emissions and... They use peak summer produce. HelloFresh makes sure that you get all the best picks all season long. Their ingredients travel from the farm to your door in less than seven days for quality you can taste. And it's why I chose them as a partnership because that's awesome. And I love that it's empowering the teens to cook. Featuring quality proteins, fresh produce, plans for many lifestyles. It's no wonder why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. (laughs) Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Wesley, to share your enthusiasm. I always love having audiences. That is true. Listeners, if you want to check out Wesley's beloved HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash wholeview16 and use code wholeview16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash wholeview16 with code wholeview16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. And I actually found that the app was easier to navigate and use, and that's free, so you can do that as well. I love that example and that it was a positive experience because I can think of my children and they would not have been able to be in a place where they think that was a good experience. And so I think that also reflects on her journey and confidence in her own body and her own skin because she wasn't judging other people 
she did heal judge and she could focus on the positivity. Right. And I think yeah. that's incredible. I wonder if there are other areas that come up with people you work with and, you know, in other areas that people are comparing and despairing without even realizing it. Right. I think your yeah. example of being in class and like thinking about how someone did something is really powerful. It occurred to me, we make a joke in the house, but I'm going to stop making it because I realize it probably creates some compare and despair for the kids that whenever I see another kid in social media or on YouTube or in the news and they're like, they've done something magical, like Greta Thunberg is one that comes to mind, right? Like I'm like, yeah. this, this kid who's done so much. And I you know, know, amazing. So I always say to the kids, what are you even doing with your life? You know, and I joke with them, like, look at th- what I mean to say is like, this child is incredible. And I don't mean to say, and you're not, or you're right. less than because of her. But this joke that I'm making, I'm realizing as we're talking is probably creating some compare and despair. So I'm wondering if there's other areas where, you know, whether it be to ourselves or to our children or to mm-hmm. other areas where this comes up for people. Yeah. The place to look is where we culturally hold this idea of there is a certain standard of excellence. So academically, career ladders, right? Beauty ideals, for sure. Money, absolutely, right? When our culture has this idea of you have arrived, here's your gold star, you are successful. In any of those sort of standard like standardized tests you can think about, right? Any of those places where we have this standard of excellence, it's like a perfect breeding ground for comparison. Another place that I'm seeing comparison happen intensely because I tend to work with women who are, you know, 35, 40, 50, 60 is aging. I'm seeing that more and more as our anti-aging industry is getting so loud, right? The diet industry is a $78 billion industry, right? That's a huge land of compare and despair. I should be as thin as that influencer. I should be as fit as that person with the 25 million abs, right? Like whatever that is. So there's that world. But then we have a huge also like, I can't remember the statistics, $67 billion anti-aging industry. And again, that's coming towards women that you're supposed to look like you looked when you were 15. No wrinkles, no this, no that, no nothing. You have to look absolutely like you're a teenager, no matter what age you're at. And I see women comparing themselves around age as well. I have a big, strong feeling about that one because you're 100% correct. And at the same time, it is difficult to figure out what you truly want and feel for yourself. You know, there is this line between, I don't want to completely give up on skincare and makeup, and I wouldn't feel good about myself if I weren't doing those things. And so it's so much harder when you're, and that's why I think also, you know, food becomes such a problem for people, right? You can't just choose I'm not going to eat anymore. Right. And so these areas where we are living within the cultural standards that are toxic and we're trying to find our own path of what feels good to us versus what's influenced by someone else versus am I comparing myself to that person? Am I comparing myself to my previous self? 
you know, like all of these kinds mm-hmm. of things, you know, getting back before your baby body. Your If your baby has had a body, you are never going to get it back to what it was before because it will always have had a body. And I mean, I just made like a social media post, I think two days ago about how these people, these, you know, big social media stars, as you mentioned, they don't even look like themselves. They're saying in interviews, like, I see photos of myself and I get comparison syndrome. I get, you know, all of these feelings because that's not actually what I look like. I've been photoshopped. I had a professional makeup crew. I had, you know, all these kinds of things to bring out that person, which is not who I see when I look in the mirror. So I think we all need to be aware that like, yes, we're having to participate in that. And if you don't want to wear makeup to work one day, it doesn't need to be a thing where people criticize you and for it, right? Like it's it is but i think that there's a difference right it's the difference between okay people are gonna do the compare and despair around bodies but we still need to eat right like we're gonna eat and we're gonna enjoy food and we meet we're human we require food so we're gonna keep eating so we're not gonna divest ourselves of the process of eating because people are comparing themselves around thinness, right? Like, obviously, we require nourishment. So in terms of the anti-aging world, it's not that we don't care for our body or our skin or, you know, our hair or all the things, but do we then criticize ourselves because we don't look like we used to or we don't look like somebody with different genetics, right? We're not going to divest ourselves like, okay, I'm not buying into this comparison thing, so I'm no longer going to take care of myself. That's not it at all. It's I'm going to divest from making myself feel bad. That's what we're really divesting from. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. And I'll try to remind myself of it (laughs) when I start shitting on myself about not getting, you know, big feels about whatever, like it's this perpetual cycle. I also want to talk about this concept of excellence. I think I love that what that answer was because I think it's a really great way to phrase what I call productivity or efficiency or all these things, right? Like we're comparing to something else. I mean, I talked about it previously on the show where when I was a working professional and even just in, until a couple of years ago, I did not feel good about myself unless I was achieving that efficiency, that excellence, that, you know, high productivity. I, and part of that was I wanted to prove to someone that I wasn't just lazy because I was overweight, right? Like I was participating in not just compare, but also like this, and therefore I must do these other things to not feel the despair of it or not allow Mm -hmm. someone else to judge me as we talked about earlier and when I think about that I also think about how that opens the can of worms on ableism and I find myself using that term more and more often especially after we had Iman Barbarin on the show who's just incredible and talking all of this to make sure that we kind of like fully understood and defined that term. So listeners, if you didn't listen to episode 30, I would definitely 
go back and listen to it because it relates a lot to what we're talking about today. And for me, I know it was really deeply ingrained in my generation, specifically growing up. I know I'm not alone. That a lot of the health and wellness community, many of us have disabilities, and yet we don't want to define ourselves by those physical or mental conditions or the limitations that someone might have. And that is the definition of a disability. And we don't want others to judge us, but yet we're judging ourselves for those things that are completely outside of our control. And all of that has to do with the fact that we're contributing less to society. We are less efficient. We are less, you know, productive or whatever it may be. And so if we put health on this pedestal, if we think of someone else as being less than because they have a health condition or, you know, because they have to wear glasses to drive a car, then is that really setting society up for success? Is that how we want to define people as being worthy or, you know, all of these things that really enables inherent judgments? And so I was kind of looking into this a little bit as I was researching for the show and I found on Disability is Natural is a website, which I just thought was interesting kind of place, but they had a whole page on comparison being the thief of joy. I think it came up because of a quote that I resonate with from President Theodore Roosevelt. And so I want to share this phrase from their website that I think speaks to a lot of what we're talking about. And I want to call out because this is a health and wellness show. And, you know, it's, I think it's inherent that mental health is health at this point. And, you know, it's part of our wellness program, but it's also in understanding how all of these things play together. Comparison is the thief of joy is attributed to President Theodore Roosevelt and others and evokes a powerful sentiment that can be life-changing. If we compare ourselves to others, we may be left with feelings of inferiority or superiority, and neither creates an emotionally healthy human being. I'm reminded of the lines from Max Ehrman's Desiderata poem, wildly popular in the early 1970s. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. As we mature, we hopefully realize the wisdom of not comparing ourselves to others. But let's shift the conversation to children and adults with disabilities. If they're receiving services, most are routinely assessed and compared to some norm, and they are usually judged to be less than. Consider the descriptors that may be used. Deficient, subnormal, below average, low functioning, severe, impaired, and so on. And once a comparison is made, it can be nearly impossible to see the person's abilities, their strengths, or their talent. In addition, we may be unable to recognize that the person is making progress. And I thought this is really helpful for me as the mother of a child with autism, of someone who is a foster child going through PTSD, therapeutic, you know, foster training, all these kinds of things that I'm doing. Yes, all the stuff that we're talking about and this concept of ableism is really something that I've been digging into because I have been doing health and wellness for so long and realizing that there are toxic things related to that. And I felt like it was really mm-hmm. summed up. I'm wondering how this, how this feels for you, but also how this shows up yeah. in your work. Yeah. 
So one is, I'm 100% with you that there's so much ableism in wellness, right? And But when you were talking, the things that really went through my mind is this idea of my worth is my output. I see this a lot with women. Oh, I haven't done X, Y, and Z, so I'm less than. I haven't finished my list of 5 million things on my to-do list, so I am unworthy, right? To take time for myself, to rest to enjoy life, right? This idea, my worth is my output. Then you add in the healthism of our culture, right? You're only, you know, you're only awesome if you're in uber health and uber able, right? So if my worth is my output and my health impacts my output, then what? Then suddenly I'm less worthy because I'm outputting less? Wait, like we have that hooked up so poorly and it is really ingrained because it is that work ethic the more you do the better you are and then what if you can't do that for whatever reason then what you're not valuable as a human that's not true and i see that for women in so many i see that what women men teenagers i see that everywhere I should do more. I should get more done. I didn't get what I wanted to do. Oh, I still have so much. I'm going to stay up late to do this thing. Oh, I can't do what they did. And so I'm not as good as them. And culturally, we have reasons for that, right? Like, pull your, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They just yes. need to try harder. All yep. of these things, right? Like, instead just of. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate that, you know, you drawing the lines between output and value and health because i think if we asked ourselves do we think someone who has cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy are any less worthy human beings i would hope that every single person at least listening to this show but really in life would say no of course not they're not, of course not right worthy as a person yet as you just described that is how our system is set up yeah and it's important. I notice it for myself. There's sometimes I will have, you know, some family over or certain guests and they don't help out. Right. And I can watch if it goes on for several days, I will get resentful and I'll turn to my husband and go like, seriously, like they can't like clear the table. They can't like dishes. And he looks to me and he goes, remember, we're high output people. That's just who we are. And not everyone is. And it softens my judgment because I, can, I am a high output person because I was literally raised on your output is your worth, right? So I was like, okay, I better be high output then. If that's what worthiness is, I have to work with myself. It's okay to rest. It's okay to play. It's okay to just do nothing. And so when he says, oh, you know, we are, we're high output people. In a way, like, yeah, that's how it is. and not. Everybody else needs to be or should be or is. And that's okay. And it's important also for us to say, you know, like Stacy, you and I rescheduled because on Tuesday, when we were supposed to record, I had laryngitis. And I was like, yeah, I cannot be a high person today. I can't talk, right? We're going to reschedule. So to be a high output person and then to be able to, your body goes, nope, 
uh, today, you're not a high output person today at all. You're flattened. And to say to yourself, yep, that's okay. That's part of the human experience. And I think also I like to say to myself, your body is talking right now. It's your choice. To yes. Live. Right. Yes. Like, and, and to empower myself with a choice. Like I could choose yeah. to push through. I could choose to do whatever. Or I could choose to take care of myself, to listen to my body and what it's telling me I need. Because usually if I'm sick, it's because I need to take better care of myself. I've Ooh. left, you know, my body, my brain, my energy has gotten run down somewhere. and my, that's my body's way of saying it's time to rest because I don't do a very good job of just doing it on my own as a high up. Right. I'm wondering, do you watch The Bear? Have you seen the show, The Bear? I have not. Tell me all about it. Okay, so I'm excited. I think, listeners, if you have not watched The Bear, Ted Lasso, or Ships Creek, like you must, those, it's just, it's life. I highly encourage you to make time. They're wonderful shows. And where Ted Lasso is very heartwarming and Schitt's Creek is very joyful and fun, the bear is dynamic and gives me a lot of things to be thoughtful for. And I find myself often feeling very like cathartic, like having these moments mm. after I've seen episodes. So I encourage you to just watch like one or two at a time. It's if you binge it all together, I don't think you'll get the same benefit out of it. But Season two was just released. It's a, you know, the first one won all kinds of awards. And I was telling, so my son, my oldest son is wanting to be a chef. And the show is about a sh what it's like to r be a high chef, right? Like whether you're in a super, you know, big restaurant or whatever, like it's a very stressful environment. And we watched the show together and I was like, oh, I don't know about if they could top season one was so good like how's season two gonna be and there was a particular episode where one of the it was the pastry chef in the restaurant he's an aspiring pastry chef goes to copenhagen his chef sends him to another friend's restaurant to basically intern to be his pastry chef to come back and bring skills and this 14-year-old veteran chef is played by Will Poulter, who has been in other things. And it was so poignant. They're having a conversation. And like as they were having the conversation, it just like it was one of those really deep light bulb moments for me. And he's talking about how when he was coming up in the ranks, that he thought it was the most important thing in the world to be the most productive and the best at what he was doing in the kitchen and that you know he'd been to multiple restaurants and he was always the best and then he went to a restaurant with a different chef and that chef was better than him that chef it didn't matter how hard he tried or whatever he did that chef had more skill and more dedication and more interest and all of these things in the craft than he did and that he was never going to be number one and what was so incredible about this is he said it allowed him to relax and it allowed him to realize I don't have to chase that I don't have to be like this number one thing and it was this comparison and he realized oh I'm never going to win this comparison 
And instead of feeling despair and chasing it and doing all these things, he allowed it to kind of motivate him and inspire him to enjoy what he was doing and to be in the moment with it and to really like become one with his craft and to allow that person who was better to teach him. And he said, I never would have been as good at my job as I am today if I hadn't been able to let this person improve my skill and to be willing to not be the best and that he had found so much peace and joy in his own journey of being not the best and it was like such an aha moment for my perfectionist mentality I remember like talking about it with my husband and my son at dinner and I was like did you get so much out of that they looked at me like I was nuts right and I was like what what are you talking about and I like retold the story for them the way that I heard it and they were like Okay. But I thought, okay, I'll tell Nina because I know you'll get what I'm saying. Totally get it. That moment was. It, it is because what you're naming is the chase for the gold star, right? And when he stopped chasing the gold star, right, that I am the best, then, oh, what do I enjoy, right? What parts of this give me pleasure? What do I want to deepen into, right? Life isn't always this linear, hierarchical process of getting better, going higher, going greater. It can sometimes be this lateral deepening, sinking into, enjoying, getting juicy, geeking out about things. And that is the juice of life. When we're like, oh, like, you know, making a pastry that you've made 5 million times and you're just in the flow of it and the rolling of a pin or whatever the heck you're doing and just letting yourself be in the enjoyment, right? When we're not in the hustle for worthiness, we can actually be in the joy of the moment. Well, and I think it was also kind of stark to see the peace that shed had with still being one of the top chefs in the top restaurants in the world and that he enjoyed it and he was calm yes patient because he wasn't hustling he wasn't chasing a star and then comparing him to the character who was that number one person and what they were like in the kitchen and how very different that dynamic was like it was just very eye-opening for me to be like I would rather be second best in the world and be happy than to be first in the world and to be frustrated, angry, and miserable in order to achieve it. And again, like I think if we logically ask ourselves those questions, we come to that conclusion naturally. But in the moment, because of the culture, because of these neuropathways, because of all of these ingrained messages, we don't stop and ask ourselves those questions. We just move forward like, oh, it's the gold star. I must go get the gold star. Yep. Absolutely. The go, the push, the hustle, the worth. My worth is my output. My worth is my gold star. My, it's like, no, you are worthy. As you are sitting on the sofa, you're worthy. Right? Or working yourself through your to-do list, you're worthy. Right? Lying, you know, sitting around with no voice on Tuesday. I was still worthy. Absolutely. Right? We've still, we can give ourselves that sense of support, of self-compassion, of being an ally towards ourselves. 
right? A real collaborator with ourselves, no matter what. And that gives us a sense of foundation, a solidity to stand on and to do what it is that we want to do, that we are here to do. So I think that brings me to how I like to end the show, which is to leave listeners with something positive and actionable. So we've talked about kind of five steps we, you know, of these things that we can work towards. I'm wondering what you would specifically recommend listeners as they're listening today and they're like, okay, I'm ready to start to make some of these changes. What are some yeah. things that they can do to begin that journey? Right. So if we just review those five steps, right? Awareness of the pattern, curiosity, what's under, like pop up foot on that one, develop a new script and then use it, interrupt the pattern with using it and practicing self-compassion. And there's two places, depending on the kind of person you are, that I'd love to invite listeners into experimenting with, getting curious. One is the very first step, awareness. Oh, look, there it is. There's my judgment. Oh, look, there it is, compare to spare. Just go around literally like you're putting a sticker on it. Oh, there's my comparison. Yep, put a sticker on that one. Oh, there it is again. Let's put a sticker on that one. Oh, there's my, you know, my output is my worth. Let's put a little sticker on that one. You can do that. Awareness is an incredibly powerful practice. The other is if it feels like the right thing for you to pick up is to practice self-compassion. And sometimes it can look like metta meditation, right? That Buddhist, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live at ease, may I, live, be, may I love my body just the way it is. But it can also be as simple as putting your hand on your heart and being like, oh, honey, or oh, sweetie, there you are, or hmm, feel you. Whatever sounds right, feels right to you, but that simple hand on your own heart says, I'm here. And I'm being gentle. I am not beating you up. I have a gentle, soft hand on my heart. I'm not hitting my hand against my head going, oh, can't believe you did that again. No, gentle hand on the heart. That's what we want. I started practicing my first step of awareness by trying to give someone a compliment when I found myself looking a little too hard at someone. So when I found I was doing the judgment thing, because it really was about me, it wasn't about mm -hmm. that. I wanted to take that moment to pause and give them a compliment to help them feel good, right? Like if they caught me looking at them, I don't want to be the judger who's like, you know, given the one eyebrow mm -hmm. stare down. Instead, I would take a pause and I would compliment because usually I was looking because there was something I was impressed by or I yeah. was thinking about instead of thinking about it from a comparison standpoint, it would instead be like, gosh, you just look so happy and radiant right now. I love the energy that you're giving out. Right. Or if it was a specific, you know, article of clothing or bag, I'd be like, I love that bag. I think it suits you so well or, you know, whatever it might be. But I think mm -hmm. teaching myself to give compliments in those moments was kind of a snowball for me because then it allowed me to start hearing and absorbing when people were giving me compliments, right? Like then I got to the, what message am I, what story am I telling myself right now? Kind of messaging with the neural pathways and like all the different steps that you were talking about. For me, it started with, I'm just going to 
start complimenting people when I find myself judging them because I want to break that habit and turn it into a different script. Great. Beautiful. And listeners, I want you to take advantage of Nina's free resources. So all of these things that we talk about, practicing body peace that you've come on the show before about, I know you have incredible resources that you offer for free at ninamandelson.com slash freebies. And you can also follow Nina on social media, on Instagram as her name, Nina Mandelson, but also Facebook, YouTube, all the things you can find at ninamandelson.com. And we'll, of course, put the link in show notes for everybody. I think you you have some things coming up in the fall. Do you want to share with people what they might be able to expect if they go to check out some of those resources? Yeah. So some of the free resources that are incredibly powerful are practicing body peace journal. I highly recommend that as a place to get started in having a compassionate conversation with yourself, specifically around your relationship with your fertile body. Practicing body peace journal. You'll also find a masterclass that really talks about relationships that we have with our own body. And in the fall, I have a compassionate eating course coming up that really is a deep dive into those that place where we feel like I wish I was eating a certain way, but I'm not. And how do we shift that relationship that can be critical with ourselves around food to be one of compassion? I could have used something like that. <laughs> so I love that you've created it and shared it with everybody. So hopefully, listeners, you can check that out. And like I said, we'll make sure that we put a list of resources in the show notes. In addition to, there were some articles I referenced and the shows that Nina has been on before. We'll put all of those in the show notes so that you can find them easily as well. And if you would like to have the podcast delivered to your inbox ad free, I encourage you to sign up at patreon.com slash the whole view. It's also a great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves, but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button and whatever you're using so that others can find us as well. And Nina, I want to thank you for joining us today and for your flexibility as you were sick for kind of you know, taking time for yourself and rescheduling with us because it was a great conversation. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal changes because no one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Stacy. Fantastic. <laughs> the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.